welcome everyone to the latest edition of Women Who Code Radio. I am your host, Tara Hernandez, and I am so excited. I have with me today Lisa Smith, an amazing woman I got to know through Women Who Code, who's actually one of our network directors. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking with you about this. Uh, yes. If only we could be together having drinks while we chat. Oh, this will have to suffice. That's right. But next time, next time we see each other, I definitely owe you a drink for sure. All right. Sounds good. Let's start, well, where I like to start with all of my guests is let's start with the history of you. So first off, where did you go to school? Um, so for my undergraduate, I went to James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, where I had two majors and a minor in, and that was more credit hours than one of my majors. So I was there for five years. Uh, and then I went overachiever much. <laughs> I know. Well, it's, I like to say I was a major in every college except for the College of Business, which served me well. And because the next thing I did was I went to library school uh, at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And I got a degree in library and information science uh, where I took all the information science coursework, but it wasn't the accredited degree. So I became a librarian. That is awesome. You became a librarian. I know. I know. I was a, I was a technical services librarian. It's a catalog librarian, which is like the nerdiest kind of librarian you can be. Um, but I would meet people who were not librarians and they, when they found out what I did, were like, really? And then I would meet librarians who, when they found out I was a technical services librarian, were like, really? And so after a time, I began to suspect that there was a personality job type mismatch there that, uh, that I was pretty much going to regret over time. And I, and I did because I like talking with people, but the reason I became a librarian was to bring people and information together. So I taught myself how to code along the way. And at a time when you could do that, and then I just started getting jobs and learning more and people take chances on me. So I moved through doing all sorts of web development. Uh, I got my first web dev job when we were laying out pages with tables and hand coding html and back in the dark ages before there was even css no no no, that was the good old days so <laughs> i mean it's the time when you could you could learn everything about the internet um, and then i just kept learning from every job i got and i was able to take something from every job to the next job um, and i like to say i had a non-linear career path uh but that's a that's a feature not a bug like it let me it let me bring a, a wealth of experience, including working at a newspaper and teaching and being a librarian in all different sorts of settings to bring that all together and bring that to bear. And uh, even if it was, I never, ever want to do that job again, I've taken something from every job and been able to leverage that to get the next job. So it worked for me. That's amazing. Yeah. So you never actually had like formal education boot camp. Yep. college extension program no maybe gone back for a sixth major no that's yeah so we you know i had the information science stuff that i did um in grad school was like high level sort of like natural language processing and database design back when uh fox pro was the database of choice right so this will give you this will date me for sure um so but no i never had any like formal programming class i didn't have any cs curriculum um i i i did it myself. So, so homegrown. <laughs> yes. So um, tell me a little bit about the jobs you started getting into that were more formally in high tech roles. What were some of the companies you ended up working at? So uh, my first one, I worked for the University of North Carolina uh, and their alumni association. I was their first online coordinator. It was very exciting. 
the server was in a closet across the hall from my desk and I could literally go over there and just reboot it when I needed to, which happened. Um, and then I worked for, um, we, we moved to South Carolina. I was a trailing spouse for a while. So I worked in some small libraries and then I was helping retired folks with their computers. Uh, they would have very fancy computers and not know how to use them. So I'd go over and help them. And I think it was mostly, I was like a stand-in grandchild. They just wanted somebody to talk to. Um, so we lived in a resort community and I would, um, hang out with them and fix their computers, which largely consisted of removing the spyware that they had downloaded when they clicked on the, <laughs> clicked on the ads. Um, I had one gentleman who was like, just, he was so wonderful. Um, and he called me and said that he needed his, uh, CD-ROM drive replaced. And I went over and found out that what was happening basically is he downloaded every piece of spyware possible and everything was just seizing up. Like as soon as he'd start up his computer, everything was trying to connect to the internet and they couldn't do anything. So I spent a day removing spyware and it was not his CD-ROM drive, but that was super fun. Um, so we... Uh, well, I mean, at least he wasn't using it as a cup holder. He was, <laughs> that was that was my first thought. I was like, oh, did you set something heavy on it? And it snapped off. But no, it was uh, it was just the spyware choking it down. It's funny how often that happened back in the day. And I, uh, to, to move... We were living in South Carolina. To move back to North Carolina, um, I got this job working for uh, a large uh, global corporation who had won the state Medicaid information management system contract and essentially had sold them a bill of goods because it was like two separate state systems that we were smooshing together. And then my team's job was to skin the whole thing so it looked like one app and that was super fun wow sign me um, up for that one it was it was the most highly functioning team like the four of us instantly gelled and we all like had a complementary skill sets our team lead was great so it was like the most highly functioning team as part of the most mismanaged project i've ever seen in my life so that was a really interesting study in contrast of like eh, this is not a place we want to be so one by one we all got uh, recruited or headhunted out of there I became the technical webmaster for a hospital system. Um, then I got my first, um, I got my first PHP full stack job without ever having written a line of PHP professionally because the um, job test was write a little app. This will also tell you how old it was. Write a little app that will search tweets. So it was basically a like, can you use the Twitter API with PHP. But I, I spent a little time, you know, so this is a long time ago when you could still use the Twitter API in that fashion. Um, but I, I spent a little time and I gave it a little design twist. I gave it a name. Um, I did some user testing. I had some help documentation go along with it. And so gave them a whole package. And during the interview, they're like, well, what's your, you know, what, what do you consider to be your weakness? And I was like, well, I don't know PHP. And they're like, oh, we'll teach you that. No worries. This looks great. So I love hearing stories of companies hiring for smart and motivated. I know it was, it was they took a chance on me there too. I, I've had fortunate luck that people have taken chances on me when I, you know, basically didn't have that experience, but they thought I had something that was worthwhile. Um, so I built content management systems back when we also did that and we didn't, we didn't use ones that were pre-built. So we would build custom content management systems bespoke for each client, which of course meant there was no single upgrade path. It was, it was extraordinary. I did that for a number of years. And then I moved to a company that had its own content management system, but um, also 
we would use kind of whatever you wanted. The common factor there being that they all used Twig as a front-end framework, which was PHP-based. And if I hadn't had the PHP job, I couldn't have done this one. So then I was doing all front-end engineering and I was putting skins on WordPress and um, uh, Craft and Drupal and um, a, a crazy headless one called Grav that I built uh, was the only the only engineer who was willing to take that on. So I did that for a number of years and agency work is, you know, you're just cranking up the websites as fast as you can. You never really go back and do anything with them. So my next job was working for a custom uh, printing on demand company and working on their e-commerce site. And so that was kind of a, that was a new thing for me as well. And that was an interesting job interview as well. They were looking for somebody with three to five years of React experience. And at that time, somebody with three to five years React experience was probably still working for Facebook um, because it wasn't that old. And um, so I, I took the interview and I said, no, I don't have three to five years of React experience, but what I do have is a proven track record of language acquisition. And if you would like, I can show you the JavaScript framework adoption and abandonment chart that looks like the Himalayas. So in two years when this isn't the thing, you're going to end up with somebody who only knows that or me who I can, I'll pick up whatever the next thing is. And that's totally fine. And they bought it and they gave me that job. So, so that was super fun. Um, so I did that for a while and um, I got a call from a, a company and it was a company that I had met through women who code. I, they were one of our first location sponsors. And then I went to their, they would have co-working days and I would go to the co-working days and they called me up one day and said, Hey, we have the bandwidth to take on somebody with leadership experience, but not management experience and turn them into an engineering manager. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? That seems like a thing I could do. And so I took that job and the path to becoming an engineering manager was not as smooth as they had promised. Yeah, um, it really never is. It was, <laughs> it was a small company. And then I got ended up put in charge of a huge project that was had a tight regulatory deadline and a lot of like just really not well-defined scope. And it was just kind of sort of a, a tentacly mess and it went everywhere. But you had previously worked at a place involving government contracts, right? So that sort of dumpster fire wasn't completely unknown to you. Kind of, but like, this is like a, this was like, um, I worked for a FinTech company. So this was part of the PSD2 regulations, which are like this sprawling, a document that goes throughout the entire uh, European market area. And it was the specifically the three domain secure, the next version of that. And Stripe purchased an entire company to solve this problem. I had three engineers and not a lot of time. So we, we, we made it through. We hit our goal of having three gateways that we could transact on regulatory day, but also then they kicked it out 18 months because there were entire countries that were like, we can't do it by the state. Like Italy and Portugal were like, just go ahead and find us. We can't make it happen. And, uh, and everybody else was like, yeah, we could really use more time. So we got it done um, despite the, them moving the date out another 18 months. Um, and then in the middle of all that, Zapier came calling. And that was a company that I had always admired. And they were like, hey, how'd you like to come be an engineering manager for us? And I said, in fact, I would very much like to do that. So um, I joined Zapier this past November, and uh, I'm in charge of the developer platform team. 
and I have the widest geographic distribution of anybody at the company. Um, I have engineers in kind of every time zone around the world. There is no single hour when we can all meet together, which is an interesting challenge for team building. But they are wonderful, smart, pragmatic engineers, and I really like working with them. And Zapier is a company that has values that I share and admire, and that has been a really great match. So so here I am. I think it's safe to say you've come a long way since being a librarian student. Absolutely, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, it's been a journey, for sure. So let's let's come back to the Women Who Code element. You got the last two jobs in part due to your relationship yeah. with Women Who Code, and you actually founded a whole new network. So which network? Let's make sure we get the right one. Uh, we, are, we are Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Which might be surprising for some to hear. Uh, the Carolinas are maybe not widely known as a high-tech hub. It is. We have two now. Like the Charlotte is another because they have a lot of fintech there. So Yeah, I've heard that. Have, uh, and in fact, Charlotte just got a chapter. And when was the Raleigh-Durham network founded? It has been, uh, it will be four years in April. Wow. I remember when you were I just know. starting up. <laughs> Where did the time right? go? So, I know. That's why it took me back there for a second when I contemplated. Yeah. So I had um, I had seen the Women Who Code logo on the conference program for All Things Open, which is a local conference that we have here in uh, North Carolina every year in Raleigh. And it's uh, an open source conference that lasts a couple of days and it's hugely attended now. And I saw the, the logo on the program and I was like, I don't know what Women Who Code is. So I went and looked them up on the internet and found, you know, it's like, there's a network near you. And I looked and there wasn't a network near me. And I said, how come there isn't one here? And they said, hey, you should start one. So I did. <laughs> so, you know, I've noticed Alina and Joey yeah. and all of them are really good at that. You want to get something done? Yeah, you're empowered to go do it. <laughs> I did. I felt very empowered. And, you know, my philosophy there was that, like, because you're right, we're not known as a huge tech hub, that we're sort of all of us laboring in individual obscurity. So um, I figured if I was the only woman engineer wherever I was, that that was happening to a lot of other people and that we should instead hang out together so that we could have more power of community. And I declared on our very first meeting that everyone in attendance, we were now all friends and we were going to hang out and support each other because that's what was most important to me. And that was a thing that I didn't have as I was coming up through that winding path through technology. Um, I didn't have any other women engineers to talk to. I didn't have any other women to look up to. And I wanted to be able to, to provide that for people because it's, it's crucial. Um, representation matters. And if you can see yourself in a job, then it's a thing you can achieve. So that's why I'm here. So uh, for the early days for Rally Durham, was it really then more about building a women's network and developing those relationships is kind of the key goal? Absolutely, yes. And, and honestly, that continues to be my goal because it's that sense of community that really is what's most important here. Like, I'm not saying you can find tech training anywhere, but there are plenty of places that you can get those, you can pick up those discrete skills. But what you don't have is the support of other women and uh, in technology. It's very soothing to be able to talk to somebody who understands not only like what you're going through, but what you've been through and to be able to complain to somebody in a manner that you don't have to edit yourself, right? Like if, if your partner or your friends don't work in the same industry, basically you can say like, I had a real weird day at work today. And that's pretty much all you can say, right? But like, if you're hanging out with somebody who works in tech and specifically a woman in tech, you can be like, 
man, I crushed this bit of code today. And the other person's like, you go, right? Like that's amazing. So having that connection is really important. Having someplace where you can talk to people who do what you do or learn from people who have been where you want to go, right? So it's, it's really that community that's the most important to me about what we do and offering that support to people who are either just starting out or have been in technology for a while and have been by themselves. So how big is the network now? We are over 1,200 members now. No which kidding. Is exciting because, yeah, um, I mean, for I, I, don't, I don't expend a lot of effort into recruiting. It's mostly, um, you know, we, we have our Twitter feed, we have our um, meetup page, and we have a consistent monthly event, which is brunch. And that's what's brought people in the door. They come to a brunch because it's, low-key networking. It's casual. They don't really have to expend a lot of effort. It's safe. It's during the day. It's a known quantity. It's restaurants that people love. We have like four that we kind of cycle through and it's, you know, drop in, come and go as you please. And that's like low pressure for people, low stakes. And that has been really the cornerstone of our whole like recruiting and retention effort. Well, do you also have some form of like class content that you have subject matter leads for that sort of thing? We do. We do at le- we do at least one other um, professional development or educational event every month. Um, so, like, in fact, last night we had uh, communications essentials, um, which was really great, kind of around um, nonviolent communication and crucial conversations. Um, and so that was that's a great presentation. But we've had salary negotiation and professional development planning and. We have a um, a GitHub study night that or a Git uh, study night that's really popular. You can never learn enough Git. Um, and we have a we had an API study night that we've done a couple times. And we're just we were just getting ready to kick off um, a monthly algorithms meetup. And I have a tech lead for that. And then you know the whole world changed. So we're <laughs> we're reorganizing around that. But we're we're offering we've had virtual brunch now a couple times, and that's worked out really well. And oh, that's adorable. Um, we're offering. We're offering online content um, and that's been really well received. We had, I think, like, I think I only had three or four days lead time for last night's event and we had like 50 people sign up right away. So, um, and that's, that's huge for us. Like our, our events range from, you know, 20 to, to 40 people when we have a big packed house. Um, and so that was a big, that was a big turnout. And then most everybody showed up, which was nice too. So um, yeah, so we do, we do a combination, but the brunch is our cornerstone and that's really, um, that's been there since, since the very beginning. It was a thing that I got at my very first, um, director's conference, the global leaders conference right before connect. Um, I showed up to my first one. I launched, I launched the chapter, uh, and the next day I got on a plane and I flew to San Francisco and had my very first, uh, director's meeting at. Twitter and, and that's where we met. Connect and that's where we met exactly. I remember you were so very excited and so clearly sleep deprived, saying we launched the network yesterday. Exactly right. That's exactly right. But in that very first meeting, um, like Joey said, uh, "Hey, let's all like you know sit near somebody that you're sitting near and exchange ideas. Like what's working really well in your uh, network." And it was the wonderful ladies from the Richmond network, Richmond, Virginia. And they're like, yeah, we have brunch every once in a while. And I was like, oh, heck, brunch is amazing. Everybody's got to eat. We have a huge brunch culture where we live. There's like lots of really cool hipster restaurants. Brunch sounds amazing, you know, and it's like very low 
effort, I put a restaurant, you know, on the, uh, in the meetup and everybody shows up and that's really it. So I was going to um, say, is that know, kind of like an American Southern thing to, to do brunch? It is. Brunch is very huge around here. And so it's a, it's a culture, especially like the restaurants that we pick. It's always a place where um, there's got lots of inclusive food, but like you order and they bring, you know, you order on your own. You don't have to worry about wait staff taxing the wait staff. You order at a counter and they bring you food. And so we have four of those that we, we uh, rotate through, uh, the area. And I kind of, because we're a little spread out, I, I rotate it um, around basically to annoy everyone equally. Like everybody will have to drive at some point um, if they want to, but also it's, it's, you know, there's going to be one that's close to you every so often, regardless of where you live in our area. So that's helpful too, to, to help people. But it's a thing that they know, right? Like I know that restaurant because it's right near me. And that, that helps, that helps ease the, the strain for newcomers. It must be super comforting to be able to have a system like that. So I love the fact that you were so new to Women Who Code as an organization and yet launched your own network almost immediately. You know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Um, I mean, especially for me, but like, this is a thing that I, I talk to our members about constantly is that like you, that networking aspect, the connections, you never know where that next connection is going to show up. Like, um, I've gotten speaking engagements because people have seen me at women who code brunches. I've gotten jobs. I've gotten, you know, I've, we've recruited members because people have seen me places. So like my philosophy is take all the meetings and I try to, to impart that to all the members. I'm like, if somebody calls you up and says like, are you interested in this job? Like maybe you're not, but take that interview. Like you never know what's going to happen after that. Maybe that person will introduce you to something else or that will give you interview experience for the next thing or whatever, but like take all those meetings and, you know, people have networking has kind of a bad rap, right? People that's, Oh, it's that business thing or whatever, but I'm like, okay, networking has three parts. Um, and it's different now that we don't leave our houses, but basically like you have to be a place where there are people It can be in person or, or online. And then you have to talk to those people. And, and that's a little intimidating for people. So my instruction there is to ask them one question about themselves and they will talk and then you don't really have to do anything, but you have networked, right? And you've met that person. So it's going to a place where there are people and then talking to those people. And that's really all networking is. And you're going to make connections and you're going to meet people. And we've had um, members find jobs because of people they've met at Women Who Code. We've had people who started, who went to boot camp and started off a coding career because of people they met at Women Who Code. Like it's, it's uh, we were having our, end of summer picnic that I've done for the last couple of summers where I invite all of the other um, women in tech organizations in the area to all come out. And we go to this cool um, brewery that's uh, on the outskirts of Durham. And while I was there, I guess not this past summer, but the summer before, one of the bartenders was asking me about women who code. And so we struck up a conversation and we were talking and I, you know, I saw her a couple of times throughout the day. Um, and she is now currently my mentee at the code school that I work with. Um, and she is just finishing up her boot camp experience and is going to be an engineer. So that was a, that was an excellent connection. I really liked that. Oh, speaking of people who might owe you drinks when all is said and done. For reals. Absolutely. Yes. And do you maybe want to give a little shout out to your coding school? Absolutely. It's Project Shift in Durham. Um, they're a wonderful organization. Uh, they are starting up, they've uh, had only full-time cohorts up till now, but they're starting up a part-time program so you can do it and continue working 
but they have a foundation in computer science education, which is great. So you get some, you know, basic core computer science principles as well as, um, you know, learning a language and their projects at the end, you work as a group project. So you get some experience, you know, working in a shared repo and, uh, project management and that kind of stuff. And then there's a project that you do by yourself at the end that gives you the opportunity to experiment with, with new and emerging technologies. And, uh, it's just a great program. I really like them. That sounds really cool. So your network sounds so different uh, from some others. In an earlier episode, I was talking to some of the directors of the Silicon Valley Women Who Code Network, uh, which, as you can imagine, is a much different proposition. Absolutely. The network itself is much larger. Um, the San Francisco Bay, of course, there's a ton more people in the tech industry. Uh, there's a ton more companies that are either based there with some kind of presence there, uh, but possibly also a ton more competition for sponsorships for organizations like this. Right. Uh, so it's something that Akanksha, Anju, and Michelle and the other Silicon Valley uh, network directors are constantly thinking about. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the Rally Durham network has evolved its relationship with the local community sponsors? Absolutely. So um, our, our most common form of sponsorship is location sponsorship. We get lots of people who want us to have events at their location. Um, typically because they're looking for diversify their team and they want women to join their organization. So they like to recruit. Um, but that's, that's been consistent. Like we never have a problem finding a place to have a meeting and typically uh, with snacks included. Um, and also um, I've had one consistent, um, a large global comfort company as well um, that is based, that has a, a uh, an installation in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I've spoken to them the last three years and they put a bunch of money in our account every year, which is nice. So we have some financial support there, but we, my policy is as free or close to free. I don't think I've charged for an event yet. So we're able to get by with, um, with sponsors and, um, and volunteers. And that's been really wonderful too, because people are very generous. So we don't have a lot of competition in terms of like, um, people that, uh, that want to like give us lots of money, but we do have lots of people who want to offer us support in, in, uh, material ways like food, exactly pizza. And, uh, we, we spent a lot of time at a place where, um, me and one of my co-directors have worked in the past and they will, they're basically like, here's a, a, a number order, whatever you want. You know, here's a, an amount of money that we'll spend on this and order whatever you want. So we've had interesting and exotic dinners there as well, which has been fun. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So um, one of the things the Silicon Valley Network has been able to take advantage of due to its location is an amazing pool of speakers mm -hmm. for some of their events. Um, is that something you've also been working on uh, out in your neck of the woods? Yeah, we've had a really, we've had a great, um, we have a lot of great women in tech groups around here. So we kind of all like help each other out. And um, I was just on a panel for the Our Ladies um, in, in early in January. And, um, you know, so we kind of, we, share our expertise with one another. We get together and, and we're, um, I think three groups. It's, uh, um, view vixens and chick tech and us are having a, a joint, um, program. It's in April. I mean, it's in May now, but, um, a thing that I had suggested, which was, uh, understanding a, your benefits package when you get a job offer. So having somebody talk to us about like how you compare, healthcare plans or, you know, this, this offer sounds great, but what are the particulars of it? And how do I compare that against what I already have or what I'm looking for? Um, and just understanding what goes into making up a whole total compensation package. 
um, which I think is going to be super useful for people. So we've had a really great like resource that we share amongst each other. And there's tons of tech people around here. So we have lots of opportunities as well. Man, I wish I had access to an organization like this when I first got into this industry. Right? I had no idea what I was doing around any of that stuff. Also same. So that's, it's, it, and that's kind of, I kind of program a little selfishly, like things that I need. Um, and I'm like, if I need it, I'm sure somebody else needs it or things that I wish I had known, you know, let's get that set up so that people can can make their strongest choices and, and do what's right for them. Well, you know, in the spirit of Women Who Code, if there's other things that members wanted to learn about, they are empowered to suggest it, right? Absolutely correct. And we get lots of great suggestions from um, from our, our folks. That's actually how that algorithms um, night is starting up. That's somebody who moved here from another network and was like, we used to have this thing. And I was like, awesome, set that up, make it happen. And so she's now our tech lead for that. And that's that's how I recruit people too. I look for that enthusiasm. Oh, that's fantastic. And also a lesson on uh, to be careful what you wish for. That's exactly right. Hey, that's how they got me. So it's a time-honored tradition. <laughs> Amen to that. You know, now that I think of it, I think I remember seeing that the Algorithms Meetup was regularly one of the most popular ones for the San Francisco yeah, network. Absolutely. So I'm not surprised it would be popular elsewhere. So I want to come back around to some possible benefits of a Women Who Code Association. Uh, you know, you talked uh, about a couple of the jobs that clearly benefited you personally uh, that lined up for you in part due to the exposure you got from your participation and leadership with Women Who Code. Uh, but there's also a more recent opportunity that came up that was pretty exciting. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I, uh, I got a random LinkedIn connection and uh, it was a company that I knew that I was familiar with. I had spoken to the company um, the previous year, my standard uh, do better speech about recruitment and retention and diversity and inclusion. And uh, it was their former CEO. And he hit me up on LinkedIn. And then we had a meeting. And uh, it turns out that the reason he wanted the meeting is he wanted me to be his uh, CTO and, and technical co-founder of his the startup that he was getting ready to launch. And it was like, again, a thing that I had never considered as a career path. But once I started speaking with him, it was ex a really exciting opportunity um, and a company that I really uh, felt like a strong affinity toward the values of. My only issue is that like I, I have a uh, I'm a single mom and taking care of my two children is like is paramount. Um, it's really behind a lot of my decision making and foregoing a salary for a year or more was not feasible for me. So I had to pass up on it, but it was a really interesting, like it, it was a, a chain of events that I had never would have never foreseen. Um, and my name was the only one on the table, which was also very like, you know, an honor just to be nominated sort of situation, but it was a very exciting um, prospect. And I got to talk to a lot of people and, and get perspective from people who had worked for startups and who had, you know, held CTO roles and stuff like that. So I did a lot of legwork to see if it was going to be for me and, and learned a lot of things along through that process too. But yeah, that was pretty cool. Did you feel throughout that process that, you know, had circumstances been different, maybe you've had a partner or something that could have helped carry the income load for a bit. Did you feel like you would have been okay with actually going for it? That it was an opportunity you felt you could have been successful at? Absolutely. And that was kind of the most exciting part of it. Um, you know, cause I, I was upfront with him. I was like, okay, clearly, you know, this is something I've never done before. What am I bringing to this role? What do you need from this role that you see in me? What can I bring to you? And he said, um, 
you know, we, we shared a lot of values in terms of um, hiring and uh, inclusion and diversity and how we managed humans. And that was what he was looking for. Like he liked my management style and wanted me to build a team that reflected those values. And I was very excited about that prospect. That was something that I, 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 I really love doing. I love being a manager of people. I like helping people be their best selves when they're at work and, and doing that with technology. And so it would have been a, a really exciting opportunity, but yeah, it was just the, the, the timing and, and circumstances weren't exactly right there. So I did reluctantly pass. Yeah, but you'll be ready the next time an opportunity like that comes around again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, but it was, it was a really, it was a fun thing to contemplate and to, to wrap my head around what those, what that would be, what that would mean. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't have, I would not have had that position if I hadn't, hadn't been associated with women who code, I don't think. I think it also can be an amazing thing to try and make your own luck. You know, you put yourself in a good position and the right things can happen. Absolutely. <laughs> I think so. And that's, like I said, my, my, my take all the meetings philosophy, I think serves me well because it lets me meet people from all different kinds of situations. It lets me talk to people that I you know, may or may not have encountered in any other way. And uh, being able to represent women who code in that way is also really important to me be able to to, to show folks that, um, you know, we are a strong presence here and that we have a lot of support and we work together really well. I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, especially as you have such a focus on the whole concept of networking, uh, Women Who Code is a global organization with networks all around the world. And um, every year before Connect, which is the annual Women Who Code conference uh, we have here in San Francisco, uh, there's also the director's leadership meeting um, where all the worldwide directors uh, get together kind of as a precursor to the conference. Can you talk a little bit about how being part of that leadership community specifically has affected your life, either professionally or personally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the time that I spend with the directors um, before Connect every year is so energizing. It's remarkable. It's a group of women who come from all over the globe. You know, I was, uh, I had gotten on a plane and spent what was it taking me like five and a half, six hours to get to California from here. But there were people that came from the Philippines who'd spent like a day traveling to get to um, California to, to have this meeting. And their energy level was just as high as anybody else. And that was amazing. And they're just women from whom I, I get a great deal of inspiration because they are making do with far less and they're in situations that are, you know, far less secure than, than I am privileged to be in. And yet they're still creating this incredible amount of programming and this wonderful network and these great connections with people. And just the inspiration that I get from the other networks in terms of um, both their programming and their approaches to, to uh, recruiting have just been, has been amazing. So I, I value that time every year. It's one of my favorite things to do is, course, sad to miss it this year, um, as I'm sure we all were, but I'm looking forward to, to having that later on in the fall. Connect will rise again. It will. It will. And, you know, um, Global has been so wonderful through this situation to offer us the support. And they were there with, you know, like, if we didn't have Zoom uh, available to us where we were working, that they offered um, Zoom rooms to have virtual meetings and guidance on how we should be handling things. And, you know, unending support for what they knew is a super challenging time for everybody. Yeah, these days, uh, keeping our networking efforts going and maintaining connections with our communities is more important than ever. Uh, it's probably going to keep a lot of people going. 
mean, I have to admit my little basement office is okay, but some days the walls really start to feel like they're closing in a little bit. So it's, it's comforting to know there's others out there. Absolutely. Yes. I, oh, and I, I feel that I feel that extensively because, you know, I, I, my job now, uh, it, we're 100% distributed. So I work from home. And what had been my lifeline was getting out and having these events and being able to see people and talk to people. And not having that has been uh, a huge impact for me. And I have, a like, again, I'm coming from a position of great privilege. Like, my job is not at Jeopardy. My kids are big. I'm not having to, like, you know, I'm not having to do homeschooling along with uh, my job. Our area geographically has not been uh, very, diff- you know, impacted really hard. So, you know, I, I have very few um, real impacts from it, but I have felt the loss of that contact. And so we just this, uh, I guess it's been two weeks, we had our first virtual brunch and I had no idea how it was going to go. I just put it up there and I was like, oh, am I might be the only person here. And we had a, just a huge number of people turn out and it was just so great to see faces and talk to people who were going through the same thing and, uh, and just to be there for each other in a, just a really supportive way. And that's been, that's been crucial because that's really what we all need right now. Oh, absolutely. And it's so great that your network is pulling together and uh, supporting each other that way. That sounds amazing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're wonderful ladies. Looking forward. Yes. Eventually we will not all be stuck at home <laughs> during times of global yes. pandemic. Um, what are your thoughts for the Rally Durham Network for the rest of 2020 and beyond? So uh, I, I think the getting more tech leads is really what my focus for 2020 was, was, is, is planning on being. So I'm, st- I'm still doing that. I'm still looking for people who are interested and passionate about um, topics that they would like to share with other people. So that's my big goal for this year is to expand that level of programming and have more, you know, where we have the algorithms night once a month, or we have some sort of, some sort of recurrent uh, educational program that's the same every month that people can count on and come in and spend time working with uh, other tech ladies and, and understanding what they have to offer. So I'm looking for people who are passionate about um, anything in tech and and I want to let them run with that. And also looking for um, anybody who wants to join in with leadership and, you know, help plan because there's, there's four of us now and we're doing a great job, but like more is always better there. So um, expanding those and then just staying, just keeping, keeping the brunch train rolling. Everybody loves it. We're just going to keep doing it. Um, I always said that like, you know, if, if it started to fall off that I would, I'd think about something else, but there's consistently a good crowd every place we go. Um, some places are, 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 you know, more popular than others, but we, we pull out a big crowd every time and everybody seems to love it. So I'm just going to keep on with that too. That's that's so great to hear. And I wish you and your ladies in the Rally Durham Network all the best uh, in keeping the tech fires uh, burning warmly in beautiful North Carolina. And if we're lucky, we can celebrate together with our larger community uh, when we can actually hold the Connect Conference in person. So thanks again for joining the podcast and sending you virtual hugs. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a treat. You've been listening to Women Who Code Radio. For more information about today's episode or to ask questions or submit ideas for future topics, check out our show notes at womenwhocoderadio.blogspot.com. 
To learn more about Women Who Code, a 501c3 nonprofit organization, go to the main website, womenwhocode.org, or you can follow them on Twitter at Women Who Code. I'm Tara Hernandez, at Tequila Rista on Twitter, and thanks for listening.